Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, uh, coming to you from XL Energy Center, where the Wild tonight, uh, really late tonight. It, with TNT game, uh, Anthony, is it a later, is it an earlier puck drop than 8.50 or is I it think still it's 8.50? The same. Okay. I think it, it might be 8.50 instead of 8.52, but bottom line is it's almost 9 o'clock. I think it matters less tonight, a Friday night at home, as opposed to a <laughs> Monday or Wednesday night yeah. on the road where for us, I guess home road doesn't matter all that much, but when it's a Friday night, the home crowd should have plenty of time to get lubed up and nobody's <laughs> got to go to work tomorrow. So yeah. why not? Uh, it was interesting. I think you were in there the other day when Pete DeBoer was talking about it. And, uh, you know, the one, the one thing he did say that I actually totally agree with is that it's the same teams every year that are being affected by this. And he said it's a competitive disadvantage, let's be honest. And well, they never even it out. Yeah, I, I think it's – I don't know that it's a competitive disadvantage because the teams are playing against each other. So it isn't like you're – Dallas is playing Minnesota at 9 o'clock on Monday night and then playing somebody Wednesday night that played a normal time two nights earlier. So I don't know about the competitive I, I think he, what he's more saying is that because the other teams never have to deal the with other, this type well, of routine change. Right, which is valid. And so that, and I've made that point for years, it's the Central Division yeah. that gets screwed every single year, and it will be for eternity until the NHL re- wises up and realizes that if you want to have a doubleheader, so you want to have two games. They've, they're scheduled two hours and 40 minutes apart. And so if you want to start your games at 7 on the East Coast, the second game, if you're in the Pacific time zone, you're still starting at 7 o'clock because that's 10 o'clock on the East Coast. If you're in the Mountain time zone, maybe you have to start at 8 locally, but you could even start at 7.30 in theory. It's the central time zone that gets hammered every single year, and I don't know... I just don't understand why you can't look at that and say this is bad for the game in these markets. To have games on weeknights, it's April, it's the middle of the school year, it's the middle of the work week, and you're going to say even a regulation game that starts at 9 o'clock isn't going to get over till 11.30, 11.40, somewhere in that neighborhood. So why not say we're going to split the difference, the East Coast game is going to start at 6.30, Eastern time, and then the central time zone could start at 8.15 rather than 8.50. And I get it. A 6.30 East Coast start is not ideal, but a 9 o'clock central start is a lot less ideal. Yes. So I don't understand why on those nights you can't say, all right, if our late game is in the central zone instead of Pacific or Mountain, we're going to make the East Coast start at 6.30. And they say, wow, you can't have games start at 6.30. Tell me why that's more ridiculous than having a game start at 8.50, and not just a game. Every single weeknight game is 8.50. It's absolute BS, and it's that simple. It's not fair to have a game end at 1 a.m. the other night where half the rink is empty because fans had to leave a classic game. And that's exactly the point, is that you had a game that nobody would have left early if that game started at 7 o'clock. Right. And it was a a tremendous game. It was highly competitive. It was wildly entertaining. The atmosphere in the building was great. And I don't know what the number was, but just as we were calling the game, I'd say a third of the arena was gone by the time you went into the overtime. And and now you get a double overtime playoff game. It's what you hope to see when you buy your ticket. And instead of being able to stay till the finish, and I thought DeBoer's line the next day was great where he said, 
I, I don't remember ever walking home from a game at 2.30 in the morning other than if we had played a game in a road city and traveled home. So and when you think about it that way, you could have played the game in St. Paul and you probably would be getting home at 2.30 in the morning yeah. on a normal night. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous, and I think what what makes it totally, you know, contradictory to what they're trying to achieve here is that if you have a game end at one a.m. because the games are starting so late due to TV, clearly um, nobody's watching that game at the end anyway. Most people have fallen asleep, and most people have left the arena. It just makes absolutely no sense. Uh, again, welcome to the Aquarius Home Services Studio here from XL Energy Center. Thanks to all our sponsors, as always. Game three is tonight. At 8.50, as we just beat to death, but it's nice to finally hear Anthony get on a rant, a Russo-style rant. Um, I couldn't have said it better than myself. Um, lots to tackle here as our Game 3 preview, Anthony, after the split in Dallas. But let's start with the gamesmanship that we've seen. Um, you know, at the end of the press conference the other day after Game 2, uh, where the Wild and the Stars combined for seven 10-minute misconducts in the final five minutes of the game, and there were a bunch of penalties, obviously, throughout the game. Um, Pete DeBoer basically said, uh, well, when you pre-scout the Wild, they take penalties at the sixth most penalized team in the league, so we're ready for that, and they dropped the mic and left the dais. It was, that was verbatim, by the way. That, that was not uh, me paraphrasing. That is what he said. No, I listened so, to it. I heard the yeah, same thing. So uh, ye yesterday we got uh, Dean Evison at Signature, and he was asked about those comments, and he dropped the hammer that uh, subtly saying the big guys on the Dallas Stars – shockingly coincidentally keep falling the inference was diving but then he just came out and said it we don't dive the minnesota wild don't dive and uh you know basically putting it inside the ears of not only the refs but accusing publicly the dallas stars of cheating um this stuff happens all the time in playoffs um but uh clearly the gamesmanship has has started by both coaches to try to uh, send messages in the public airways yeah and i think playoff series take on personalities and this one has had a lot of intrigue for other reasons already prior to that that's just the latest you had the the bad guy good guy with the suitor cross checks in game one and and the groundwork laid for that but yeah this one and, and i think there's some validity to it the wild have been prone to take penalties and i get it we've talked about officiating all year long dean evison has talked about officiating all year long and i do think the wild have been on the short end of it quite often this year and part of it is because they aren't the type of team that embellishes where some of their opponents have if kaprizov crumpled up like jamie ben did every time Suter cross-checked him in the back maybe he draws more penalties but that's not the way he's wired but Although, at the same honest, time, the Wild are the yeah. Wild are sixth most penalized team in the league for a reason. That I I don't think that you're on the short end 82 times a year. They are prone to take penalties. They have been. It's been a problem all year long, and it's shown in this series. Dallas also has embellished some of these calls and has they certainly have crumpled easily when they've been hit easier than the Wild have. So yeah, I'd love. Whenever you're facing a team seven times in a row, there are little games played behind the scenes, whether it be with disclosing your lineup or little tweaks or subtle jabs at opposing players or officiating, whatever it is. It's, that's a part of what makes playoff series so much fun. The, the problem to me with the Kaprizov, what you said there, is that he has gotten clobbered and fallen to the ice, and the referees just watch it. Both times that that we that the big ones by Ryan Suter, 
um, in front of the net. He was collapsed to the ice because he was legitimately cross-checked, and the refs still looked at it and don't call it. And that, to me, is a problem for this league on continually watching Kirill Kaprizov get abused and not calling it. And most referees respect the stars that work their ass off and go to the dirty areas. And for some bizarre reason, they just enjoy enjoy staring at him getting absolutely and punished watch in front him of the net. to the bench. Yeah. It's different if it was you watched him jump right back up and score and then you'd say, all right, well, if you quit flopping around in front of the ring, in front of the net, maybe you get a call. Kaprizov doesn't do that. It's a joke. He just doesn't. And and Ryan Suter, look, we watched it for years here. He's one of the best in the game at the little subtle cross checks in the back that go undetected and slashes and, on the hands. Right, and, and it, it he gets away with it. And I don't know how or why. It's we watched it on the wild side for years, and it went uncalled most of those times too. So this is really no different. You've heard me talk about it on this show and on broadcast that I don't understand it. I don't understand why officials have decided that they've that that cross check is legal. Because if you started calling it, if you called it once in the first period every night, it would go away. You're not going to put your team shorthanded, especially in playoff games. But they don't ever seem willing to make that call. And we were joking about it after the game the other night. If you think over the last 15 years... Ryan Suter's got to be in the top two in terms of uncalled cross-checking penalties, and his old D partner, Shea Weber, might be number one. <laughs> and I don't know if they – maybe there's a, a constant theme there between the two of them. Maybe there's a, a common thread, so to speak. But remember how many times Shea Weber used to cross-check Zach Parisi in the back? And we'd wonder, well, how many of them have to happen? How many times does Parisi have to pick himself back up and – reposition himself in front of the net before he gets a call and they never came and now we're seeing the same thing with Kaprizov and it, and it, it is it, a joke I mean is. the guy is clearly banged up from it Zach Parisi had freaking back surgery because of the abuse that he's taken in this league and to me I've always said it the referee's job is not just to retain order during a game it is to protect players and you can't watch somebody take a weapon and continually hit somebody in the back and not call it and just stare at it like it didn't happen and that it, it is so absolutely beyond the realm I, I don't understand it um, and this is not just the new game this has happened forever um, makes no sense to me um, let's talk about something that maybe you and I are probably both going to disagree on here um, but that is the goalie decision the other night. You know, I know that you deep down were okay with the decision, but coincidentally, when we were talking about it before the game, maybe not coincidentally is the wrong word, the one thing that you said that worried you is what happened the other night, Anthony, and that was if they got slaughtered, how it could turn the tide of the series and how it could really hamper the confidence of the Wild. Obviously, we'll find out tonight if that is the case. Uh, they're going to probably, we assume, get a fresh Gustafson in there. Um, I guess my only issue, not my only issue, my problem with it, Anthony, is I don't think there's 15 other teams in the league that would ever take a goalie that had a 51-save effort in Game 1 and say, you're not playing Game 2. And it just makes no sense to me, Anthony. Like, the playoffs are a different animal. This isn't game 62 in Calgary. Yeah. I don't care this is how they operated during the regular season. I, One goalie has been consistently great all year long, and the other goalie has been hot and cold, and the team seems to play very differently in front of them. Yeah, I think, well, there's a few things. And I, I, I understood 
at least part of the decision, and I didn't really get a chance to talk at length like why the decision was made. This is all conjecture. But I think, number one, I think they, they knew it was going to be a tough game with two of their top centers out, yeah. with Jewel Erickson and Ryan Hartman out. And if you start Gus in that game, and, and in hindsight, if Gus was playing in that game, the Wilds still lose that game. They didn't lose that game because of Marc-Andre Fleury. Gus plays that game, they still lose the way they played. And if you just put Gus in and say everything else stays exactly the same, they lose that game. Now you'd be coming 1-1 back home in a pivotal game in the series. Now would you go to Marc-Andre Fleury in this game? Let's say Gus gave up five in game two. You'd almost have to. So I think there was a little thought there that maybe catch magic in a bottle and and lightning in a bottle and Marc-Andre Fleury steals a game or plays great. And if he does... You still can go back to Gus in Game 3 because, say, yeah, Flurry played great in Game 2. Gus played great in Game 1. I do think there's something, too, that they used both guys down the stretch and that that was a part of the reason both guys were so good. Remember, yes, Flurry did. He had some moments that were up and down this season, but just prior to the tail end when Minnesota wasn't, when they were making sure they had some other guys healthy and rested, he did win seven games in a row in from mid-February to early April and played really well during that stretch. We talked about Gus having the best goals against average in the league from mid-February to the end. Well, Fleury was like number five. So both were good. And I think there was a thought to let's make sure we get both guys into the series early so we don't run into the same kind of situation we had a year ago where you waited until it was game six to then throw Cam Talbot in when he hadn't played in two weeks. Now, if let's say you need Flurry later in this series, at least it's minimal what, yeah. how much time off he's had. So I think there were some reasons to make the decision that they did, and you've set the tone all year that, look, we play both guys, we're more willing to make adjustments than we were in the past. The, the, so yeah. the one thing, the point that you made is what my only reason for wondering about it was. What if it really gets upside down? This was prior to game two. And what if it really gets upside down and all of a sudden you allowed Dallas to find their game, regain their confidence? And that was the only concern I had. Now yeah. we'll see if that, we won't know if that carries over until we see what happens here tonight in St. Paul. I, I think, I thought Dean's comment yesterday was the most accurate of them all. Game one was played the way the Wild want games to be played. Game two was played the way Dallas wants it to be played. And if Minnesota can get back to the structured, rigid, hard-to-play-against, fight-for-every-inch kind of game, Minnesota can win this series. If you're going to play a track meet, wide open, trade chance for chance, high-risk play after high-risk play, Dallas will probably win the series. No doubt. Um, you know, the only thing I'll say to what you said is, you know, the old butterfly effect. Like, we, you know, when you said everything will stay the same, Gus loses that game, no doubt. But I think just having Gus in there changes the complexion of the game, right? Maybe he stops Could. that hints yeah. breakaway. Um, you know, the third goal was a horrendous goal. The fifth goal, I'm sorry, was an absolutely uh, un- unacceptable goal by Flurry. They scored two goals in 11 seconds, and he can't stop a Heiskanen point shot, and five seconds later, it's in their net on a great redirection. But it's all because he didn't stop that initial puck, and they lost the game right there. And freeze the initial puck. Yeah, yeah, yeah freeze. And, and my, my point, I guess, what I'm saying, Anthony, is that this team does seem to play very different in front of him. 
And, um, you know, it just seems to be much more erratic. And because they had to chase the game, they had to open up and they started making ridiculous plays um, and things like that. But there were signs that this was happening early in the game before maybe you can even blame Flurry. And it started with the power play where, you know, I don't understand sometimes like it's it's hard to ever criticize Kirill Kaprizov and Mad Zuccarello. OK, they are high end players, but you go on the power play and it is just it is so unacceptable to watch Kirill stop at the point at the offensive blue line with three stars around him for the sole intention of trying to backhand a 50-foot pass across the blue line for a catching up Mad Zuccarello. There's five guys on the ice, and that goal turned the game upside down right there with just a dumb play. Yeah, well, for sure, but those guys have some rope. They've proven and they've scored enough where you have to let your skill guys try to make plays. And I'll there's no doubt. But you have to do and it if, smartly. Well, you do, but if you if you ask Dean to go back and break down that play, he's going to say that's a pass that shouldn't be made, without a doubt. But for every one that they do, that they make like that, they make 10 that are probably better decisions. And sometimes skill guys are going to make mistakes. By the that's way, what good. was Marcus Johansson doing on the back check? I don't know. That was he had very a goofy weird. turn that I, I'm not sure what he expected. <laughs> I, but, but, you honestly, know, he, like when I look at the replay, Anthony, it's almost yeah. like he thought it was a two-on-one and the linesman was a player. He might have. It was and, weird. And, you know, forwards aren't the most astute when it comes to yeah. getting back defensively, and that's why they get taken advantage of in those spots. But I, when you have highly skilled players, they aren't going to be the most responsible when it comes. They, they are always going to think they can make a play. And if you watch over the years, how many times you watch a pass and you say, how in the world did Kaprizov know Zuccarello was there? Yeah. Well, if you eliminate all those and the trade-off is then you don't get that turnover at the blue line, you don't have the same kind of player. Mm-hmm. So you have to allow those guys to try, and especially on the power play. Go ahead and try to make a play. And in hindsight, yes, that one led to a, a shorthanded breakaway. But Minnesota has given up fewer shorthanded goals than any team in the league this season. So it's hard to look at it and say, what the hell are you thinking on the power play trying to make creative plays? They gave up three shorties all year. One was an empty netter. One was in the Nashville game when they were playing, who knows what the, how you'd describe that power play. It was none of their normal power play guys. So their regular power play guys gave up one shorthanded goal against a goaltender mm-hmm. all season long. Yeah, I don't think you're going to – I'm never going to look at that and say – what are they thinking trying to make skilled plays because you risk giving up a shorty? It's going to happen. But that one was not a – that to me wasn't a, a skilled play. That was him being – No, but the other thing I'll yeah. say is Dallas has been great at disrupting Minnesota's entries, mm-hmm. and they're one of the top five penalty kills in the league. Right. And Minnesota does the same thing to other teams night after night after night, disrupting the zone entries. And look at how many shorthanded goals they've had. They've had, so, they've had what, 14 during the regular season. They gave up three. So – in this series, they've been pretty good against Dallas's entries. The problem is they just haven't been able to win a faceoff when they've been shorthanded because they've thwarted Dallas's entries in similar fashion. It hasn't led to a shorthanded breakaway yet, but it's it will. It has. It did all season. I wish Marga was here to watch uh, how casual you were when your computer almost fell out of the press box, by the way. It was pretty – I mean, you had, like, no reaction. You like uh, just grabbed well, it off the was in edge the, of the – I was in mid-sentence. Yeah, I, I know. It's, it's shocking to me that your oldest son once left his computer in a, on a picnic bench in a park and was shocked when it was stolen an hour later. <laughs> um, Went inside for a meeting. Yeah. Um, 
Let's do the uh, well, let, let, before we get to uh, sponsors. I just, I, let's button up the Capri stuff, Zuccarello thing. Is there any chance? I mean, we're going to know by the time everybody's listening to this podcast. Are they at a point where they're going to separate the two of them? Because Zuccarello has been. I mean, I've been saying I, I think since the calendar turned j- mid January, basically. If you look, he has not played great hockey. He's turned pucks over. His production has completely dried up. And since Caprice has been back in the lineup, they surely haven't reinvigorated that. And well, the other, but they I mean, only his, played two games together at the when right, he came back from but injury. It, but and, here in the playoffs as well, and I, I don't know. I, I thought Zuccarello was really, really poor the other night on game two. Well, I think you have to keep a couple things in mind. A long part of the stretch to which you refer was when Kaprizov was out. He missed 13 games. Then he comes back. He plays two out of the last four. So they played together two times in the last 17 games of the season. And one of them I thought they were good but just didn't score. And then the other one I thought they were fine. And in the, in the, if you remember how the playoffs started, First period of game one, Kirill Kaprizov was by far the best player on the ice. He in, in the first, So he ate those cross-checks, right, and then that's, he was, became so non-existent. In fact, we're going to talk about that tonight. First two periods, nine shot attempts, six shots on goal, one goal. Mm-hmm. The last three periods of game one, and then all three periods of game two, a grand total of one shot on yeah, goal. Yeah, it's very concerning. And, and it's, well, and it's been different because... He was allowed to basically be assaulted by Ryan Suter. Exactly, and so that that that's not on Matt Zuccarello because if Kaprizov's getting nine shot attempts in two periods, Zuccarello is a big part of that. And I don't know how you quantify that. How many of the attempts came off feeds from Zuccarello? But they looked like themselves for the first, let's say, thirty minutes of this series until the play. I'll never. It was. Kaprizov skating in behind the play. Suter turns around, cross-checks him, crumples him like a folding chair with an illegal, dirty cross-check behind the play that went uncalled. Kaprizov winces, limps to the bench, and he hasn't been the same player since. We'll and then see. he had the other, the other the one. Other one the, right in front of the, yeah, the other one, that one, you could tell he got hurt on. Yeah, yeah. and both of them. Yeah. But it's, and it was done knowingly. And I, I'll never say that Ryan Suter's trying to injure somebody. I, I will not use that term. But he for sure was trying to hurt him, and he for sure was trying to knock him off his game. And it's worked. And I guess to Ryan's credit, he knew the officials were going to let it go because they did both times. And there was a third one as well, but those two are the two most vicious. And so this circling back to where this started, which was Kaprizov and Zuccarello looked just fine until that point. And I don't know how hurt Kaprizov is. And maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's just, I would never, it's hard to say he's gun shy because he's never been gun shy. He's not a, he's a competitor. He wants to compete. He'll continue to battle, but he hasn't been the same player in the five periods since that happened. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I'll just say this. So at some point they've got to, you know, they, they I'm not saying I sit. I don't think they'll a, break those two yeah. up as the short but end. But because, they need to sit down and have a come-to-Jesus meeting that he needs to manage the puck better because the other night was was unbelievable, and to me it set the tone for the game. He turned the puck over over and over and over again. In fact, he almost killed himself on a freaking block because he had to save the team and himself because the defenseman was so out of position because it was such a ridiculous turnover. 
Um, so, I mean, at some point you got to, you know, you, 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 you discipline Ryan Hartman for his bad penalties. You discipline Matt Dumba for playing too reckless. I'm not at all saying you take Matt Zuccarello out of the lineup, but at some point you just got to, and maybe it is happening, but at some point you've got to say, you know what, Matt's, if this isn't going to work for a couple shifts or putting Gus Nyquist there or Marcus Joanne's or something, because this is just not acceptable. You're not, you're not, you, you know, it's just not acceptable. Anyway. Um, spring has arrived, and I know it's hard to believe, but warm weather is coming, and that AC will be running soon. Make sure you are prepared when it comes to the hot summer heat. From AC tune-ups to repairs, Aquarius Home Services is here to help. If it's time for replacement, Aquarius is offering a new AC for as low as $55 for, per month. That's right, 55 bucks per month. They treat your home like it's their own, from wearing shoe covers to cleaning up when they are done. Aquarius provides no surprise upfront pricing and a guaranteed work. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. That's why I recommend them each week. Don't wait until it's too late. Call Aquarius today and make sure your air conditioner is prepared. There's just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention that Russo sent you. And here, uh, here's a word from Twill, Anthony. If you're promising that it is going to turn to spring, I'll believe you. I can't wait to get into Twill at the Galleria and Edina and check out some of their new spring lines. I've been anxious to get back out on the golf course. I've had one round at a driving range, and that's it so far this year. And But I can't wait to get out there and check it out. They're more than just a suit store. They've also got great golf apparel if you're into that. And, of course, the their suits and ties are we're right up there with the best in town. So I can't wait to get back out on the course. And before I do that, I'm going to have to swing into Twill at the Galleria in Edina and check out their lines. You'll be properly outfitted. Even if your game isn't sharp, you'll look sharp. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. We're seats in the house uh, back here at XL Energy Center. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta. And Anthony, um, you know, I guess the other reason why game two was very, very um, predictable was just the lack of centers with the Yule Eriksson-Eck, and then you compound things with Ryan Hartman. You put Matt Boldy, um, who I thought he played well at center, but he has not done that at the National Hockey League level pretty much at all. The only time he really t- takes draws is, uh, you know, after power plays and uh, sometimes um, on a power play if, if a guy gets kicked out or something like that. Um you know, they, they didn't practice uh, yesterday, and I don't believe Yul Eriksson-Eck skated. He'll, I would assume if he's still healthy, he'll get on the ice today. Um, we'll find out later today if he can make a miraculous comeback. I know that you've been thinking all along that Game 3, um, at a minimum, Game 4 would be an option for him. The Ryan Hartman thing really concerns me because clearly he suffered a lower body injury um, there in, in Game 1. He left the bench at the end of overtime. Game 2, Game 1, even when he scored the game winner, you could see he could barely skate. In the morning skate before Game 2, he clearly was um, hindered by, by, the, by the lower body injury as well. 
Um, these are two significant injuries, and to go up against a Rupe Hints and and uh, a Wyatt Johnston and a Radic Foxa and and the centers that they have, it's a tough task without your two best centers. Yeah, without a doubt, and that was what that was the point we were making earlier in the show about game two was going to be a handful. You knew you were going to get a great push from Dallas, and then you throw on top of it playing without your top two centers. And I, Jewel Erickson, I just this was all hunch. I just felt like somehow, some way, the guy was going to will himself back to play. And I, this game seemed like the logical one to go with the team down to Dallas, get a few skates in, and then come back here. And we'll see. I, I don't, I don't know for sure that he'll be able to go tonight. Bottom line is, however tough you are, however hard you're willing to work, it's still. An injury that takes time, and he, he's still way ahead of the the normal time frame for the injury. So we'll see what happens. Ryan Hartman, I think, it was interesting because Speaking of the devil who's that coming out on the ice right now. Yeah, and I, I would guess somehow, some way, he'll find his way into the lineup too. I, I don't know what his injury is, but it it was funny because if you remember when. It, he was injured, and after the game in the post-game press conference, I can't remember if you guys stuck around for the players at the end after game one, after Dean Evison got done, oh, yeah. or if you guys left. So were you guys in there when Gustafson and Hartman came yeah, into yeah. the interview room? So when he came in, he had the big ice pack on his leg, so we're not... We're not uncovering yeah, well, yeah. anything that that people wouldn't know. And he said but, he said to me that he, when I asked him the question, he said that the uh, that the goal took away the pain. You know? Right. But remember, so number one, he scores the game-winning goal. About two shifts before that, he blew by Haskinen up the wing and got the great look that he fired off of Ottinger's head. So he was. He was fine. Well, I shouldn't say fine. He was hurt, but he was able to play at a pretty high level. And then I, my guess is it was just the next morning things stiffened up on him. The Wild didn't skate. Tell you what, he doesn't that, look good right now. That the well, he's doing edge work. No, no, but it, he, it, it, where it started though was yeah. because he, uh, he kind of went down in the corner. He just yeah. he can't can't put a lot of weight on whatever is going on. And we'll see. I, you yeah, know, he, I, he's, you, know you that, can tell he's frustrated. I think he's about right. to leave. Yeah, and you know that he nope. he would give he would do anything in his power to get on the ice. But you've you also have to know your body, and you have to know that all right. Well, if I can't play at a hundred percent, I can't be the guy that's on the ice against hints. I, and that's where he would likely be. So we'll see. And it, you have to be careful because as much as the season's on the line, and you say, what are you waiting for? bottom line is the season isn't going to end tonight. So if it means biting the bullet and saying, all right, I, anytime you take one game off, you get two days off to try to allow something to settle down and cool down. And remember, after game five, there's two days off. So there are some times where you just have to be willing to say, as much as I would love to be a warrior and I would love to be there with my guys, you got to be smart about these things. And, yeah. Um, and we'll see. But it, for him, to me, is is such a huge loss because the one, you know, especially with Eric Snack and without Hartman, you just lack bite in your lineup. And obviously, the other night we show we we saw that Dallas wants to play um, a hard brand of hockey. Jamie Ben is so sneaky that way, um, and uh, Ryan's already leaving the ice, so this might not be a good sign. And he is, uh, we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, well, maybe maybe he comes back when the rest of the team comes up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. 
but that that still was concerning just watching him there. At one point, he shot the puck uh, too while you're talking uh, while you were talking against the boards, and it looked like he was pretty frustrated. So um, we'll see. But but to me, you know, especially with Kaprizov and Zuccarello, they need that guy to go get the puck and create space. And Sam Steele, you know, he's a very skilled player, but it is a downgrade. Well, yes, it's a downgrade. You're taking your top, top two centers out of the lineup. Yeah. You know, I mean, take Hints and whoever out of the Dallas lineup. Hints and Johnston, take take Hints and you know, Fax as their fourth line center, but take any one of them. Take Hints and Ben out of their lineup. And that's they look like a different team. And, yes, they lost Joel Pavelski, who's a, a great player. And I'm not saying that Ryan Hartman is on the same – level as Joe Pavelski, but in terms of replaceability, he is because of the fact that he, of the position that he plays for Minnesota. He centers Kaprizov and Zuccarello. So put Pavelski back in and take hints out, and that line changes more than it does by taking Pavelski out. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about the penalty kill, and then we'll get to some Twitter questions, Anthony. Um, you know, first two game, first game, it's odd because obviously they gave up two power play goals, but they were, you know, it's clear what happened there, right? They lost a draw and they, and Gus probably needed to stop both those pucks. Um, and then they had three huge kills, uh, one at the end of the third period to get to overtime, one in the first overtime, one in the second overtime. So it's hard to sound the alarms then based on the way they finished the game. But in game two, uh, you give up three more goals, all missed assignments, all bad clears, and when you're coming off a playoff series last year where you gave up eight goals on 26 chances, it's it's a problem. It's a concern. And, you know, Yul Eriksson-Eck and Ryan Hartman not being in the lineup affects things. Uh, Mason Shaw not being in the lineup affects things. Matt Boldy had to kill a penalty the other day. I don't think he's done that in his NHL career. Um, I, so it's easy to see the reasons. But, man, do they have to fix that, Anthony, or this this series is going to be a problem. Yeah, and I'm less concerned about it than you, I think, just because of the fact that a couple of the things you mentioned there. Two were right off of face-off losses in your own zone. That That isn't a structural penalty kill thing. It was a couple lost face-offs and pucks that probably should have been stopped. And I think that's really the bottom line is they haven't gotten saves. 71%, I think it is, through the first two games on the kill, and – Nobody can win with that. They, and you know, they had a tip and they had a rebound and those kind of things happen. The faceoff plays, I think, are maybe the most concerning because Dallas has been absolutely dominant on faceoffs on the power play, and both of those were clean wins that led three seconds in and six seconds into power plays. So. I think you'd be more concerned if it was just a barrage of shots and, and high-danger chances on the kill. The other thing is I think Minnesota just put them on the power play too many times. If yeah. you look over the course of the season when – Well, they're a bunch of divers. Right. But if you look over the course of the season when the Wild give up five power play opportunities, they don't have much success. And you can't do that. That number's got to be in the 2-3 range for Minnesota to have success. If it stays in that range – partially because of the fact you're missing the guys you're missing. So, yes, you're missing Erickson Eck. You're missing Shaw. Those are two big parts of your penalty kill. Hartman's been a part of it. Then you throw on top of it that with the lineup they've been playing, Jared Spurgeon is getting extra minutes running the top power play unit. That takes away from his effectiveness, I think, in all other phases of the game where normally he hasn't been a ton of minutes on the power play. So you can really lean on 
he and Brodine for the first and third shifts on every kill, which is about as good as it gets in terms of back end on those kills. So we'll see. I, I, I'm not as concerned about it as the numbers would indicate because of the way the power play goals have been scored. And there's a big chunk of what happened in game two that I think is easier to dismiss just because of the lineup that you had in and the way that the game unfolded. It just has a different feel. Everson uh, alluded to lineup changes potentially tonight. Obviously, some might be necessitated because of the injuries, but it did sound like he, they're they're going to change the third pair, didn't you think? That was what he was saying, that uh, we had to have a talk today. The, the context of the question was the defense pairs. Obviously, it's not the top two. So one wonders if Klingberg's going to get back in and play next to Brock Faber or if maybe Goose gets a chance next to Faber. Yeah, and I haven't talked to the coaches about it yet today. It wouldn't surprise me if we saw Goligoski in there. I don't know that it, Klingberg is really a guy that if you felt like your power play needed a spark, you'd go to him, and maybe that's where they are right now. They had some power play opportunities the other night. That, you know, the only that, other thing to your point that you just said about Spurgeon is he was minus three the other night, and if they agree with you that he's less effective because he's running the top unit, maybe they feel like they got to get Klingberg in the lineup. Yeah, and they made. I feel like it was obvious down the stretch they felt like they really had to hide him five on five. You can do that better at home when you have last change yeah. and you can make sure that he's not out there against the Hintz line. Yeah. So maybe we'd see him in this spot and, and they'd use him as a, a little bit of a spark for that power play. It wouldn't surprise me if they do that. I, I think they've really liked Brock Faber's game and what's not to like. I think he's been really good. It, what was interesting was... I think you and I probably saw game one the same way. There were a couple turnovers that Johnny Merrill made that I think had the coaches concerned, and they didn't use him much down the stretch in the third period. Then analytically, the next day, I look at yeah. the numbers. He was the the best expected goals for no percentage player me. on the ice for either team, and Faber was number two. So those guys were those guys were good in the first game. By that metric, which is one of the metrics the and Wild Merrill, trust. Merrill blocked the one shot by Dadanoff that would have ended things in overtime. You yeah. know, um, you know, the only other thing that I'm wondering, I don't think they'd take Faber out of lineup, but, but you know what what you said that concerns me about putting Klingberg in is that if we just assume that Faber's in, that means Klingberg, who they had a hide playing right D, which is his normal position down the stretch, five on five. Now you're saying to this guy who you didn't have a lot of confidences at his normal position, oh, by the way, you because we want to keep Faber and we're going to put you on the left side for the first time really in your career. Um, that can, is a concern. So I do wonder if they play Klingberg tonight, if they just say, you know what, we're going to give Faber the night off um, and you play Klingberg on the right and put either Merrill or Goligoski there. We'll, we'll see uh, pretty soon um, what's going to happen in those situations. I think you can hide him enough and hide is a strong word, but protect him Yeah, when you're at home Insulate. by really limiting the number of times he's on the ice against Dallas's big guns. It'll happen, mm -hmm. but you can limit it dramatically. So I think tonight might be a night where you see Klingberg in there even playing on his offside. Yep. By the way, it's spring and the weather is getting nicer. The spring selling season is here. Skip the spring cleaning and get straight to the spring selling. Be proactive and take action today, even if you're not quite ready to sell your home, so you can be better informed and better prepared 
to move forward when the time is right. More people are moving again as interest rates have stabilized. Sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. There are no showings, no decluttering, no repairs, no stress. It's an easy way to sell your home. They keep you in control so you can sell your home very, very fast. You can pick your closing date and move when it's convenient for you. To find out what your guaranteed cash offer would be, Call them right now at 763-401-SOLD. There's no obligation. Again, go to chrislindahl.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Close with confidence and start packing. Terms and conditions apply. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Open a smart checking account at Royal Credit Union and enjoy a $250 bonus. Royal Smart Checking has no monthly fees and no minimum balance requirement. See offer details and exclusions and open your account today at rcu.org slash checking bonus. Insured by NCUA. Well, Stanley Cup playoffs is a great time to go check out Moe's inside Fogarty Ice Arena. It's a great place to watch games, great setup for TVs. You'll, you won't be disappointed by the menu. You've got outstanding options, great sandwich options, great burgers, and it's just a great place to watch a game. So even though there might not be anything happening inside the rink right next door, go there during these playoffs, check it out. It'll be a great place to watch a wild game, and you'll, you'll enjoy the menu. You've enjoyed the menu. I love the menu. Yeah. Check it out. It's Moe's inside Fogarty's Ice House. Plus, you and I both know Moe, and Moe's the best. He is. He'll he'll probably have a good story for you, a good chuckle. Definitely. Um, Ask him about the time he went to Vegas with us. Yeah, we should definitely talk about that. Um, All right. um, So let's. it's hard to say this because we won't know who's on the ice for another 15 minutes, but what do you expect tonight, Anthony? This team has been extremely disappointing at home in the playoffs since 2016. Well, four and twelve. Yeah, I'll go yeah, with my descriptor. Uh, it's actually they've lost twelve out of fifteen, and it's including part of that sixteen series against Dallas. We've talked about the this this team in the playoffs, and some of the things that that get overblown a little bit are their shortcomings, and part of it is they've just faced teams that have been better than them in many of these playoff series. I think last year's St. Louis series, you'd say the opponent. It was an evenly matched series. It was a the teams were separated by what two points during the regular season. They were both outstanding. Series could have gone either way. The year that Boudreaux's team lost to Yo's team is the one that I still to this day will say is the series, the one series out of all of these first round losses that they absolutely should have won. They were clearly the better team all year long. Might have even you could even argue they were the better team in that series, but just lost. Right. And, but all the other series, look at who they've played, and their opponent has frankly been better than them. Dallas in 16, Winnipeg in 17, that, 18. or 18. They, they were just better. And Vegas in 21, they were the better team. And so that's part of it, is that they just, they've faced teams that were better than them. Do you remember that blue and, line in 18 because of all the injuries they had? Yeah. It was unbelievable. And remember, in 18... Winnipeg had 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 everything going that looked like a roster that was it was kind of their peak year with that yeah. crew. And yet Minnesota playing him here in game four with a chance to square the series, and they probably do square the series, except you wind up with Parisi getting hit in the chest. Yeah. Then you wind up with a cheap shot on Eric Stahl, and before you know it. They, Didn't they, they lose that game one nothing? And Morrissey, who had the cheap shot, assisted on the one goal. Right, and yeah. uh, was it one zero or two one or so? It was a one goal game. Yeah. And but remember, Parisi got hit in the chest and couldn't play then. And it was, 
He got sandwiched by uh, Ben Sherratt and somebody else. Yeah, and and so all of a sudden, you're in a series against a team that might have been better than you to start with, and you yeah. get these guys knocked out, and it was... It turned into a train wreck in Game 5 up in Winnipeg, obviously. But those are the kind of things that have happened. That said, they have to win these games here in St. Paul. Dallas has to win a game in St. Paul to win the series. Minnesota did what they had to do. They went to Dallas, got a split. Dallas has to beat them in this building in order to win the series. I thought all along the series would be 1-1 coming back from Dallas and that it would be 2-2 going back to Dallas in Game five. I just think these teams are too evenly matched to for it to get away from either side. I think you and I predicted the exact same outcome of the series, though, which was not. Uh, I picked Dallas in six. I thought I thought it would go seven, yeah. and I still think it will go seven. And if Minnesota can get healthy, I was worried about their health coming in. Big and, time. And if you have I to agree. play this whole series without Jewel Eriksson-Eck or without Eriksson-Eck at and, full strength, and remember, it's strength. not just the guys that are out. It, it was it's the guys that we know that fans are starting to visibly see are banged up. I mean, there's a lot of guys right now on this lineup that we are, I mean, everybody's hurt this time of year, except by the way, Dallas, who the Pavelski injury the other day was one of the first ones. Um, is that Erickson Eck that just came out there? Yep, it is. You can just tell, so that's good. Um, that is Erickson Eck, right? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so he'll clearly take part in the morning skate, so... Let me just tweet this out for the masses. Right, Let's talk a little more Brock Faber. Uh, actually, uh, that's one question from John here. Is, um, he wants to know, did the Wild ever, ever think that he would play in the playoffs? I don't think they did think that, Anthony. I thought they, they didn't promise a game. I think they like, all right, we'll play him down the stretch. And then he was so good, especially in the game in Nashville where really not a lot of people were good, that they're like, wait a minute. You know, this guy can play, and, man, he is not disappointed. He's been great, and I think the couple things that have really stood out to me – and Dean's alluded to this. He has a little bit of a slipperiness to his game where there are some plays where he looks like he's about to get blown up in a corner and all of a sudden he's made it one quick step and he's avoided the, the check and he's maintained the puck. He's stronger. He's battled against some big guys. And I think he's been impressive. I think his game has been simple. And I think we'll see more and more confidence develop, even as game two was carrying on. You saw him jumping up in plays a couple times, carrying the puck through the neutral zone a couple times. Let's not forget, this guy's four games into his NHL career and two of them are Stanley Cup playoff games. I think it's, I think he's been remarkably comfortable fitting in at a very young point in his career. Um, he, John also wants to know the upside of Connor Durer. I was actually thinking this the other day. When Eck comes back, Anthony, has Sam Steele done enough to stay in the lineup? And if that's the case, would, would they keep Sunquist in and maybe put Steele as fourth-line center? Um, or do you think that just Sunquist comes out? Um, what do you think happens? It would be hard to sit Durer because we know how much he means to the penalty kill, the fact that Dean um, uh, loves him and that he's been a mainstay on the fourth line all year. But Steele has started to really look good on killing penalties as well, so he could theoretically take that role. Or yeah. do you think that – it, or do you think there's no way Steele stays in? Yeah, I think the first move would be to that Steele would be the guy out. Mm -hmm. And but I also think they've got depth, they've got options, and it wouldn't shock me if Steele stayed in the lineup and Sunquist came out. It, there, I just think that it depends on at what point all of that stuff becomes reality. If I think if it were to happen tonight, Steele would be the odd man out. 
But if it were to happen, you know, let's say after tonight's game, you get you find out that Hartman and Erickson Eck can both play or something, and now you have to make that decision. It could really depend on what happens in tonight's game and how you what you think the most challenging matchups might be. So I, I think you'll just see. I think we thought about it in goal that we'd see both guys throughout this series. I think on defense coming in, we wouldn't have surprised me at all if we saw eight different defensemen play for Minnesota in this series. It still wouldn't surprise me. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see a variety of guys in and out of the lineup up front, even without injuries. And Hartman, by the way, uh, since we're now live, uh, live, giving you live play-by-play of the morning skate, I said that he left the ice before after five minutes. He is testing it now during the morning skate as well. Yeah, which um, is what I said, is yeah. that I think we'll see him back out here with well, the team. Well, of course. He, was, he wasn't just going to wrap it up. I'm just saying that it, clearly he was frustrated, and we'll see. Um, but uh, we know how much he wants to play. I know for a fact how much he wants to play because I've been in touch with him. Um, just sending this out too. Um, somebody asked me, uh, what are the team's responsibilities when somebody makes his NHL debut for the families? And uh, basically, um, the, the way it works in the NHL's collective bargaining agreement with the NHL Players Association is that teams are uh, have to get the parents to the first uh, game. The Wild do it way, way more. I'm sure other teams also have more, but the Wild will bring the whole family in. They pay for airfare tickets, all that type of stuff. It's real classy. Um, uh, I watched uh, even... Um, Brock Faber's NHL debut in Chicago. He had a whole clan of people there, grandmother and sister, uh, both his sisters, but one lives in Chicago, uh, things like that. Um, let's go through a couple more Twitter questions. Um, Chris wants to know, do you think uh, Carell is still laboring through the injury? He doesn't look as explosive to him. Yeah, I do think he looked like he was laboring a bit through the injury, I, without a doubt. I don't, I don't know that to be a fact, but he for sure hasn't looked as dynamic as he did early in the series. And you just never know how fast those things can go away, though. The, with a day off, yes, it was a travel day, so you still were on a plane. But a day off yesterday and a late start tonight, maybe he'll be back to 100% by tonight. Jason wants to know, would we consider shopping Zuki this offseason to alleviate $6 million in cap space? I'd have no. trouble buying that. Um, he does have a modified no trade, uh, but I, I just don't think. Uh, that you go that route and risk alienating Kaprizov. He's still uh, Kaprizov. Uh, he's still the straw that he is, and I, the, all of that stuff will take care of itself. Let's and I respect the guy who I get it. It's his question. He can ask whatever he wants, but the they lost one game. Let's let's, that's the let's thing. Like, table unless, the offseason yeah, I mean, discussion. That's the one for, that I always get. Focus I, on I, this. I always laugh this time of year because. People get so up in arms, understandably, right? We react, we all react to game to game. But unless you pick the Wild to sweep the Dallas Stars, you knew they were going to lose at least one game. If you pick the Stars to the Wild to win in seven, you knew coming in that there would be three losses to get your prediction right. right. Well, so we all go crazy. I, I think I mentioned this on the last show before the series started that. The, one of the challenges in a playoff series, and part of it is because you're facing the same team, yeah. is that when you win a game, you feel like, okay, now we got them. And when you lose a game, you feel like, oh, boy, we'll never beat the – look at how they yeah. they got blown out. There's no way to match up. There's no way to slow this guy. There's no way to stop this. And that's the challenge in a playoff series. When you win, you feel like you're invincible. When you lose, you feel like you might never win again. And the truth is you have to be able to walk away from it and say – 
it was one game. Yep. So it was one loss. What if these games had happened in reverse? Yeah. And Dallas had won seven to three, and then the Wild had won in double overtime. You'd be coming home feeling like, now we got them. Well, yeah. it, it's one to one. So it's game three tonight. By the way, that little mini ramp by you is the perfect way to end the show because my last question was from Carter Wetmore saying, happy to come home with a split, but based on Twitter reaction, we already lost the series. We're still in it, right? So perfect way that Anthony uh, wrapped things up there. Thanks for everybody for joining uh, War Seats in the House this week. Hopefully, everybody joins game three and enjoys Anthony's telecast on Valley Sports North. Thanks for joining us in the Aquarius Home Services studio and our sponsors, Aquarius Home Services, your installers of Connecticut Water Treatment Systems, Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, Twill in the Dyna Galleria, Bosch Law Firm, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Royal Credit Union, and Mosel Tavern. Thanks, Anthony. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner I wish Margo was here to watch uh, how casual you were when your computer almost fell out of the press box, by the way. It was pretty, I mean, you had like no reaction. You're like, uh, 